We're working our way through the book of Hebrews. Um, most of you are familiar with that, and, and that's been quite good. We've called this series uh, Jesus is Better. So uh, this idea that Jesus is better than everything that kind of came in the Old Testament, he's the fulfillment of that. But then for us, well, that means that Jesus is better than uh, anything that we put our hope in and that we trust in in life, anything that we uh, would come up against. He's better. We, and so we remember in all the hard times that Jesus is better. And we saw that Jesus is better than the angels to start off with and that he's better than Moses. And this week, specifically, that he is better than the promised land. Uh, this idea of rest that the promised land was a picture of rest. And, and this passage, I, I, I don't know, I feel like everybody feels tired at the minute, don't we? And uh, everybody's maybe a wee bit at the end of our tether uh, with different things, and especially the way the world is, and not being able to even rely on each other fully. Um, I think there's a lot of, yeah, we need to hear this message this morning. Um, so as I was thinking about rest this week, I was thinking about the things that give me rest, um, I don't know what kind of holiday. You remember when we could go on holiday? That was good. Um, one of my, well, some people like going, I, you know the whole poolside holiday? We just go and sit by a pool. That's not me. I hate that. I mean, look at my skin. I mean, it'd be awful. Uh, also, I don't look that attractive in swimming trunks either, so it's not really for me. What I like is a city break, walking and walking and walking around the city, going to coffee shops and, for me, bike shops and museums and cafes and stuff like that. That really relaxes me. Um, but whatever your idea of rest, rest is, it's probably different than what Hebrews 4 is talking about. Um, and another one of my favorite types of rest is Sunday afternoon, nap on the sofa. Yes, that's my favorite type of rest. Every week, uh, the TV on, the kids playing, and get a wee nap on the sofa. I, that's one of my favorite times of the week, um, and I look forward to that this afternoon. But Hebrews 4, in these uh, 13 verses that we read, um, some of the most complicated verses in the Bible, actually, um, but it mentions rest over 10 times, 11 times, actually, and the kind of rest that it's talking about here isn't just taking a nap, it isn't going on holiday, it isn't just taking time off work, and when the Bible uses words like this, we need to let the Bible define them for us, you know? Um, if the Bible says rest, then we need to ask the Bible what the Bible says rest is. Because um, if we don't, if we just impose our meanings on it, then we can end up getting it very, very wrong. And, and one, of the, one of the problems, I think, with the kinds of rest that we naturally think of is that it always ends, doesn't it? So uh, no matter how good your holiday is, you have to come home at some point. Uh, no matter how good your time off work is, like I'm going to take this next week off and I'm looking forward to that, but you do always have to go back to work or no matter how good your Sunday afternoon nap is, you always get woke up by somebody wanting to play Lego or having a dirty nappy or something like that. Um, that's for me anyway, maybe yours is different. But the kind of rest that Hebrews is talking about, it's totally different because it never ends and it's rest that's complete. So it's a rest that's not spoiled by thinking about all the things you have to do when you get back home or get back to work. It's, it's, it's a rest that doesn't just put all your worries on hold for a while. Um, it's a rest that is actually, this passage says, is God's rest. It's this incredible thing that God invites us into His rest. It's not some kind of second-class rest. Um, this is the kind of rest that God enjoys Himself. 
It's not temporary, it's eternal, and it's peace and joy, and it's contentment, and it's fulfillment. And, and it's, this kind of, it's the kind of rest that's so precious and so valuable that, that, as we'll see in this passage, that we have to pursue it above everything else. This should be our primary goal, is to pursue this rest that God has for us above everything else. And so, as we are all tired and fed up and stressed and lonely and all kinds of things that we are, uh, there's one message that I think that this passage has given us that I want us to take away, and it's this, that God invites us into his rest, so let's strive to enter it. That's it. God invites us into his rest, so let's strive to enter it. Because we all want rest, don't we? Who doesn't want rest? We all need rest. We all need peace. I mean, uh, just look at the chaos in the world. We all, we all see it. We've all... We've all felt it. We can all relate to it right now. We want this craziness to stop. We want, we're, we're tired of, of these COVID restrictions. We're tired of people getting sick. We're tired of being sick, maybe. We're tired of politicians arguing. We're tired of, 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 of people messing things up and letting us down. And we're tired of messing things up ourselves and letting other people down, aren't we? Um, we're tired of all the hurt and evil in the world. We're tired with... Uh, all the working to pay off debts that we can never seem to pay off. We're just tired. We know that everything isn't as it should be in the world. And sorry, if I, I don't mean to come across as, you know, Debbie Downer this morning, but there is something in this, isn't there? That the world isn't the way it's supposed to be. And we all know that. We all see that. I don't think anyone would ever say, anyone, no matter who, who we spoke to, would say that everything is perfect. <laughs> Who would, who would answer that question? Oh yeah, the world's pretty good right now. No one would say that. But here's the thing. There's only one thing that can truly satisfy all the dissatisfactions and longings of our hearts. And it's not holidays. It's not time off work. It's not naps on the sofa. It's not even finding the cure to COVID so we can go back to normal life. It's not financial security. It's not having acceptance in a good network of friends or even in a good church. It's not, uh, it's not even finding a life partner. None of those things can truly satisfy us. And yet we keep trying to find satisfaction and rest and contentment in those things, don't we? If only, if only my family was this way. If only my kids were doing this. If only I could have that job or if only I could get rid of this pain then I would be okay. But that, that's not true because then you just move on to the next thing trying to find satisfaction in. The only thing that can satisfy the longings of, the, of our human hearts is the, is the rest that we find in God. And why is this? Because this is what we were created for. See, God didn't create rest for us. He created us for rest. That's the natural state that we should be in, rest. And we're going to unpack what that means. Uh, St. Augustine, he was a North African pastor and thinker 1,700 years ago. Uh, and, and this is what he said in, in this book, Confessions, which is kind of like, it's not really, well, anyway, it's a book he wrote. Uh, but he said this, you stir man, that is human beings, you stir man to take pleasure in praising you because you have made us for yourself and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Our heart is restless until it rests in you. And he hit the nail on the head. He understood what Hebrews 4 was talking about. That sense of longing that we all feel, that, that restlessness that we all feel, can only be satisfied in God because God made us for himself. And just like a baby is, 
most at peace in her mother's arms, we're only at peace when we're in the arms of our God and our Creator. Because that's what He's made us for, ultimately. And, and, and here's one last thing I want us to understand before we start unpacking this passage. If we are discontent, and if we do feel restless, it's because we're looking for contentment and rest in all the wrong places. Because what we'll see in this passage is that contentment and rest are available. Rest is available. This is what this passage tells us over and over again. Verse 1, the promise of rest still stands. Verse 6, it remains for some to enter it. Verse 9, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Rest is available. And so if we're restless, we're looking for it in the wrong places. That's, that's what I think. And so the question is then, how do we find rest? And we're going to use this passage to answer that question. How do we find rest, this rest that is available? And the first thing that we see from this is that we enter God's rest by faith. Listen to verses 1 and 2 again with me. It says, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us, just as to, just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Now, we're going to look at this in more detail in a minute, but here's a quick summary. The Israelites, who he's talking about when he says they and them, the Israelites were God's chosen people. And God had freed them from slavery in Egypt. They were literally a whole race of people in slavery. And God freed them so that they could live in a way that showed the world around them what God is like. And God has promised to give them this land called the land of Canaan, this promised land where they could live there and flourish and under God's law and live in a way that, that shows all the other nations around them what God is like. And the promised land was, was more than just a physical place. It was, by, see, by entering this promised land, they would enter God's plan of salvation. They would live in the very place where the presence of God would be, in the temple. God's presence would be there. But we know things didn't go to plan. If you were here last week, that's what we, we talked about. The people of Israel disobeyed God. They didn't trust Him. They refused to trust God's promise of rest, this rest that was right in front of them, that Travis mentioned. God was leading them with this pillar of cloud in the day and pillar of fire at night, leading them towards this rest. But they didn't trust His promises and they disobeyed Him. They, they only saw the obstacles and, and didn't trust the promises. And so out of that whole generation of people, like 1.5 million people, only two of them entered the promised land. Why? Well, verse 2 tells us. Because they heard, but they didn't combine what they were hearing with faith. They had the good news. They had the gospel. That's what it says for, for good news, for gospel. They had heard that. They had God's plan of salvation. They saw what God is capable of. They had, they had literally walked through an ocean. They walked through the Red Sea on dry land. They saw the, 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 um, the miracles that, that, Moses, or that God did in Egypt. They knew the good news and still it did them no good. And the lesson for us is that it's not enough to hear the gospel. We need to believe it. If we want to enter God's rest, we need to hear and believe God's message his good news. Simply hearing the gospel isn't good enough for salvation. We need to believe it. Otherwise, we're just like the Israelites who, who just heard. They didn't combine their hearing with faith. And we need to be careful that this isn't us because it's totally possible. It's totally possible to listen to sermons, 
to do Bible studies, to, to, to read your Bible, and to not actually believe it. Loads of people do this all the time. And Hebrews 4 verse 2 tells us that it won't do us any good. It didn't do the Israelites any good. See, the only appropriate response to hearing the gospel is faith. Otherwise, what are we doing with it? Like, imagine somebody stuck in a cave. Um, and it's cold. And, and I, I don't mean like one of those caves... I don't mean like a wee cave like down by the beach. I mean like, you know, underground caves. And, and it's cold and it's dark. And it seems like it's completely impossible to find your way out. It's just, it, you're just completely cut off. But then an explorer comes along and she knows the caves really well. In fact, she's been down there thousands of times. She wrote them, she drew maps of how to get out. She's got all the gear and safety equipment and she can navigate the way out. And she says, hey, listen, uh, I know the way out. All you have to do is listen to me and hear what I'm saying and, uh, and then uh, uh, follow me and you'll be led to safety. That would be great news if you were that person stuck in the caves, right? Well, hearing the, the, hearing the gospel and not believing it would be like telling that explorer, well, that sounds pretty good. You got some good points, and, uh, but, you know, I don't really need your help. It would be insane. That's what the Israelites did in the desert, and it's what we do every time we hear the gospel and don't believe it. And we all do this. We all do it. We all know what the gospel tells us about a certain situation and still we refuse to believe it. And here's the danger for us as Christians. Good going church people, church going people like we are. That's us. We're good church going people. Faith is not the same as knowledge. That's the danger for us. You can know the Bible really well. You can have all the right theological answers and still not believe it. Do you think we're different from the Israelites? We're not. We're not different. Most of us have had the same privilege that they had growing up in the church, hearing God's word taught all the time. We can literally go to books where you can buy loads of different versions of this Bible, where you can have all the input of, 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 of authors and Christian music and pastors and all that kind of stuff. And just like them, we're in danger of never moving from our heads to our hearts. And so the challenge is, is the gospel just head knowledge for you? Or is it heart knowledge? We need to hear and believe. We need to know and trust. We need to combine knowledge and faith. And we need to not let the gospel just be in our heads. We need to let it penetrate deep into our hearts. We need to trust Jesus. Because the truth is, no, no amount of Bible knowledge in the world can lead you into God's rest. You can know all the Christian authors, you can have all the books, you can have all the worship albums, you can know all the right preachers and all that stuff, and it amounts to absolutely nothing if we're not just simply trusting Jesus. Taking him at his word. And so we can only enter this rest by faith. That rest that your heart tells you you need right now. That rest that you know that there's something more that rest that's for you, you can only enter that by faith. And secondly then, uh, we enter God's rest today and forever. There's two parts to this, today and forever. You see, the gospel invitation, the gospel is an invitation to rest. And maybe we don't think about it that, that often that way. Um, it, it's, we, we think about our salvation as our sins being forgiven, which they are, and that's good. 
We think about being united with Jesus. We think about being adopted into God's family. We think about, uh, you know, we have peace with God or we, and we are being more, made more and more like Jesus in sanctification. And those things are true and good. But I would guess that most of us never really think about the salvation God gives us through Jesus as being rest. And it's funny, isn't it? It's funny that we don't think about it this way because rest is the, th- the thing that most of us spend most of our time trying to find contentment. And yet the Bible tells us here is this rest that is promised to you and we don't really accept it. You see, rest has been part of God's plan for his people from the very beginning. And this is what the author is trying to do here. There's this really complicated part between verses 3 and verse 10 that that is really tricky to understand. Somehow in our English translation, we lose the logic and the flow of it. Um, but what he's doing is he's, he's outlining uh, that from the very beginning, God has been creating rest for his people. And so we see this, if we go right back to the start of the, start of the Bible, start of time, God rests after his creation work. You can go back and read this in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. So in this creation story, we see that there, there are six symbolic days of creation. And then on the seventh day, God rests from his creation work. All the creating has been done. And so God enters into this time of peace and celebration and a glorious satisfaction in that all that he has created is good. He says it's good, and so he rests. And and he doesn't rest because he gets tired. God doesn't get tired. But he rests. He stops his work. He stops striving because his work is done. It's complete. And God is still like that now. You see, the interesting thing is, if you go back and study this, In each of the six days of creation, it says there was a morning and an evening. Except in the seventh day. There is no morning and evening in the seventh day because that day never ends. There is no end to the seventh day. God is still resting in glorious satisfaction. And this is the rest. This is the rest that God invites us into through Jesus. Eternal, glorious satisfaction. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? That's the kind of rest that I could get on board with. Eternal, glorious satisfaction. And God has been inviting his people into rest ever since. This has always been in his intention for us. This is why we were made. In the second chapter of Genesis, God sets up this garden in Eden. It's a paradise. It's a a place for God's people to enjoy him. To be at peace. And he puts a caretaker in the garden. He puts Adam there to take care of it. And God himself is in the garden. And he walks and talks with Adam and Eve. And this garden represents God's rest. God, what people were created for. To be in God's presence. And humanity at our very beginning is at rest with God. It's not, it's not just relaxation. Like Adam had a job to do. He's to take care of it. But, but he's at peace. He's, he's in God's presence in the garden where all is in its right order and at peace. He is experiencing God's rest. But we know it didn't stay that way, don't we? In the third chapter of Genesis, Adam rebels against God and, and he's, he, Adam and Eve are cast out of the garden and that rest was over. That rest that we enjoyed with God was broken. And from now on, work will be hard. The order and peace of the garden is replaced with, with disorder and chaos. The world that we know now, disorder, chaos. Pain, working to pay off debts, laboring hard and not seeing the return of that. 
And this ultimately leads to Adam's descendants, God's people, the Israelites, being enslaved in, in Egypt. And so God rescues them because he still, he wants to bring them into enjoying his rest. And so then he gives them the law, right? Which is instructions as to how to live as God's free people. You've been freed from slavery. This is how you should then live. And part of that law was this command to remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. One day of the week to just stop working and just enjoy God's goodness and creation. The seventh day, like we saw, was when God rested from his creation work. And so his people are to do the same. So on one level, the Sabbath was just a time to stop work and to rest like we all need. We all need rest from our work. But it's also an invitation from God to take part in his own rest. Remember the garden. Remember what I made you for. Come be in fellowship with me. Just leave the chaos of the world behind for a time. And, and listen, look forward to a time when, when you will live in the garden again, when, when you will be free from the labors of the world, when you will just enjoy God's presence. And then not only that, God promises uh, his people that he's going to lead them into this promised land, the land of Canaan, a land that's free, uh, flowing with milk and honey, a land that's free from slavery, a land that has no oppression, the kind of stuff they experienced in Egypt. But like we saw earlier, that generation that left Egypt in slavery, they, they failed to enter it. And just like Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden because of disobedience, they failed to enter God's rest because of disobedience. They rejected God's promises. But the next generation did enter. That's why, that's why uh, the author of Hebrews here talks about Joshua. Because Joshua led the next generation of Israelites into the promised land where they did enjoy God's rest for a while. For a while they lived under God's rule and, and they obeyed him and it was good and they were free. But even at its best, even when the people of God were enjoying God and obeying his promises and enjoying the promised land, that, that promised land was just a representation of the true and eternal rest that God has designed for his people. And we all know this because a few hundred years later, David in the Psalms still talks about God's rest still being available. Verse 7, today saying through David so long afterward. In other words, long after people enjoyed the rest of the promised land, David says that God is still offering salvation rest to people. The promised land was just pointing to an even greater rest to come. A greater rest that comes in and with and through Jesus. That's what he said. It says in verse 9, there remains a, spirit, a spiritual Sabbath, a spiritual rest for those who believe in Jesus. Colossians chapter 2 talks about this. This is Paul, the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Colossae. And he says in Colossians 2, 16 and 17, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in the questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. See, people were arguing about, well, should we do the Sabbath? Should we not? Do, should we do this festival? Should we not? And he's saying, listen, you're missing the point. Those things, that Sabbath rest that God gave to his people in the Old Testament, that was a shadow of something to come. And the substance is Christ. The initial point of the Sabbath in the Old Testament was to give people rest from their work and to enjoy and rely on God's goodness. 
But when Paul says that the Sabbath was a shadow and Christ is a substance, that means that the, the physical rest of the Sabbath finds its fulfillment in the spiritual rest that we have in Jesus. This means that we find true rest not by resting physically one day in the week, but by resting spiritually every day and forever in Jesus. True rest only comes from resting in the finished work of Jesus. True Sabbath is, is to stop trying to find rest and satisfaction and contentment through anything we do and just rest in the work that Jesus has done to bring us into rest. This is what verses 9 and 10 tells us. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. This means that that rest that God has created us for, the rest that we want, the rest that we need, the rest that we are promised is still available, is found in Jesus. Rest is available. And so Sabbath for us isn't a day off in the week. I mean, I used to hate Sundays as a kid. I used to hate it. You weren't allowed to do anything. We weren't allowed to have fun. We weren't allowed to watch TV. We weren't allowed to make too much noise if you were outside playing, stuff like that. But Sabbath for us as Christians isn't just a day off in the week. The Sabbath is, is the true and eternal rest that we have now in part and someday we'll have fully in Jesus. Now, of course, it's a good idea to take a day off in the week. We need rest. God has made us a certain way and, and it's good for us to have a day off where we're not, you stop working and you just enjoy your relationships, enjoy creation, celebrate all that God has done for us. But our true Sabbath is only found in Jesus. One of my um, favorite pastors um, and theologians, a guy called Sam Storms, he, he puts it this way. He says, for the person who is trusting in the work of Jesus Christ rather than in their own efforts, for those resting by faith in Jesus, every day is the Sabbath. Every day is a celebration of the fact that we don't have to do any spiritual or physical works to gain acceptance with God. We are accepted by Him through faith in the works of Jesus Christ. Listen, if you are a Christian, then you're in Jesus. If you're trusting and believing in Jesus for your acceptance with God, not, not trusting on your own efforts, then you are experiencing the true meaning of Sabbath. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, all the time. All the things that we try to find rest in and, and peace and contentment in can't provide it. Only Jesus provides that. And so why do we try to find rest and contentment and peace in other places? And then one day, this is the, the kind of looking forward, one day the final part of this rest is that we will enter into this complete rest forever. Life in the new creation, that's what it is. When, when this garden that was in Eden will cover the whole earth, when all of God's creation will be his temple. When the paradise of rest and walking with God and talking with God the way Adam and Eve did in the beginning will be ours. It will be over all creation. And that's what we're looking forward to. True rest. And we get to experience it in part now in Jesus. But one day we will have this perfect and never-ending, complete satisfaction and joy and fulfillment and pleasure 
That's ours. That's our promise. That's the rest that, that, that we are promised here in Hebrews 4. That day when, when God wipes away all our tears, when the pain will be no more. Uh, Revelation 21, uh, verse 3 puts it this way. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And it goes on in Revelation 22. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. That's us. And they will, and they will see his face. We will see the face of God. And his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. There will be no lamp, or there will be need, they will need no light of lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign with him forever and ever. That's the rest that we have. That's what lies ahead for, for those of us who believe in Jesus. This is what we get to look forward to. This is what's guaranteed to us. All we have to do is just rest in the finished work of Jesus. Hear and believe his word. And that, and that brings me on to our last point this morning. Um, because we, we enter his word, or we enter his rest by faith. We, we enter it today and forever. But we enter God's rest by submitting to his word. By submitting to his word. The author of Hebrews finishes this wee section just by a focus on God's word. Let me, let me, let me read verses 11 to 13 again. It says, let, let us therefore. So because of everything that's come, he said before. So because this promise of rest is still available. And because of that example of the Israelites who, who threw it away. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. So that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. By the same disobedience that the Israelites had. For the word of God is living and active. Sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. When I read this, um, there's kind of a paradox there, isn't it? Because it says, let us strive to enter rest. And that doesn't seem to make sense for us, does it? Because surely to enter rest is just to stop striving. So what does it mean? Well, when he says strive to enter rest, it actually has this idea of just pursue it like it's the most important thing. Just go after it. I'm going to find this rest with all I have because this is what we've been created for. This is what we're invited into in Jesus. And the alternative is to fall away from God and spend eternity outside of Him. And so, of course, we should pursue this. Of course, we should pursue this like it's the most important thing. Because ultimately, nothing else is as important as entering into that rest. This is the ultimate goal of humanity. It's the completion of God's plan for us. And so we pursue it. We go after it with all we have. We've already seen the, the bad example of the Israelites. Uh, they heard God's word and they didn't believe. They rejected God's promises. They rebelled against it. Which is why I think that the author of Hebrews finishes this section with a focus on God's word. Because how do we hear God's promises? How do we hear the word of God? Well, well this is it. This is it. 
And, 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 and so the warning is, just as they rejected God's word, we need to not reject God's word. And he tells us some very interesting and actually kind of scary and frightening and enlightening things about God's word, right? If we are to enter God's rest, we need to hear and believe and submit to God's word. You see, firstly, he tells us that the word of God is living and active, right? So what does that mean? It's not just some dead book, right? Remember, I mean, I don't know if anyone's a Shakespeare fan. That's fine if you are. But I remember doing Shakespeare in school, and I hated it. I absolutely hated it because it was hard to understand, and it made no sense, and it didn't have any car chases or anything like that. So, I mean, that wasn't really for me. But, like, I've matured a little bit since then. Um, Not much. Still like my car chases. But the Bible isn't like Shakespeare. The Bible isn't like any other book that's ever been written. The the, the author of the Bible is God. And God is alive, and so Scripture is alive. You get me? God lives, and so Scripture lives. This is living. This is God speaking to us. This is why we say every Sunday when we read it, this is the word of, of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Because it is His word speaking to us right now. And more than being alive, it's actually active. It means it's effective. It means that it has a mission and it completes a mission. It's God's word and when God speaks, he acts. We see this all the way through the Bible, especially going back to creation, right? How did God bring the creation into being? He spoke. And when God speaks, it happens. When God speaks, God acts. The Bible isn't just a bunch of dead word, dead words. It's the living word of God, and it accomplishes everything God wants it to. And what does he want, want to accomplish with it? Well, the author goes on. He says it's, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Like this is the most effective weapon they could think of. It cuts both ways. And then what does it do? It pierces to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow. It can discern thoughts and intentions of the heart. It's like this idea of, maybe you've heard this before, this imagery of a surgeon's scalp that can cut so finely, it's so sharp. It cuts sharp and it cuts deep. The Bible is able to get into our hearts. The Bible finds what lies beneath the surface. And honestly, if you want to know what your, what's in your heart, what your intentions really are, read the Bible. Don't look in a mirror. Read the Bible. The Bible will confront you. It will challenge your motivations. It will challenge your intentions. And, and, and one of the problems is that we so often, when we come to the Bible, we want to dissect it, don't we? We want to chop it up. We want to remove the parts that we disagree with. We want to get rid of the parts that don't make sense to us or understand or, or go against our beliefs or, or go against the way we feel about certain things, especially when it challenges us. We want to do surgery on the Bible and get rid of the bits that challenge us. But we've got it the wrong way around. It's the Bible that does surgery on us. God uses His Word to challenge our way of thinking, to challenge our hearts. God uses His Word to do surgery on our hearts. And so we need to approach the Bible not with suspicion, but with submission. We need to let the Bible read us. God, what are you saying to me through your word? Not, oh, well, how can I make this say what I wanted to say? And we all do that. 
And listen, if we find problems with the Bible, the problem's actually with us, you know? Not with it. God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't misspeak. God speaks and God acts. And so if we're finding problems with the Bible, if there's something that's challenging us, we don't try and figure a way around it. I'll, I'll read this commentator and see if they agree with me, or I'll read this, what this person said, see if they agree. No. What God says, he means. And listen, if we are to enter God's rest, if we are to pursue that goal, the goal of eternal rest, like it's the most important thing there is, we need to hear God's word. We need to submit to God's word. We need to not harden our hearts to it. We need to let it challenge us. We need to let God use his word to expose our hard hearts and to shine a light in the darkness of our hearts. And that's how we strive to enter his rest. We take God at his word. Don't be like the Israelites and say, well, I've heard what you've said, God, and I've seen that you've done all this stuff, but I'm just going to reject that. I I don't think you actually will bring us into this promised land. It's too hard. No, just read the Bible, listen to his word and let it expose where we're wrong and where we need to change. And so, you know what it means? It means that the striving, the striving to enter this rest, the striving is actually submission. And it's hard for us to submit, isn't it? We don't want to submit. We don't want to give in. It doesn't come naturally. Our natural sinful hearts, we want to be right We don't want to submit. We don't want to be challenged. We don't want to have to change, but this is what it takes. So let me challenge us this morning. What what parts of your life are challenged by Scripture and what is stopping stopping you from submitting to it? What parts of your life do you read the Bible and, and it confronts it? And then what is stopping you from submitting to that? What is stopping you from from trusting the promises of God? What is preventing you from hearing and obeying? All this idea of striving, it makes me think of Paul writing to the church in Philippi in Philippians chapter 3, and he says this. He says, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, right? So there's a goal that he's going for. He knows he's not there yet. And he says, but I press on to make it my own. You're saying, Paul, are you trying to work for your salvation? No, because listen to what he says. I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Paul knows he's not perfect. He recognizes that he hasn't entered that rest fully yet. And yet he still presses on, doesn't he? Who's the goal? He, he, he goes after it like that's the only thing that matters. Why? Because Jesus has made him his own. And so we strive to enter that rest because we belong to Jesus. And because Jesus has promised us this rest, we make sure not to lose it, not to fall away from it. It's the most important thing. We put it above everything else. Jesus says, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Uh, I, I feel that. I feel that. A lot these days, carrying heavy burdens. I feel like the situation at the minute has somehow, um, yeah, made things difficult in so many ways. I look at this gathering this morning and I think, God, what are you, what are you doing? When will this be over? 
And Jesus says, come to me, and I will give you rest. And maybe you're the same as me. Um, maybe you feel like you're carrying heavy burdens. Maybe you're, you're tired. Maybe you've had enough. This, this is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is here this morning. <laughs> it doesn't matter how many of us are here, or it doesn't matter if we have to wear masks or all that kind of stuff. Jesus is here this morning, and he says, come to me, and I will give you rest. Isn't that incredible? All we have to do is not do anything. All we have to do is just uh, trust him. Stop trying to find rest in everything else. Nothing else can give you rest except Jesus. So let's just trust him. Let's just accept that when he, he, he says it. At the minute, it feels like the, you know, our promised land, and you, it seems like somehow that finish line is even further away than it's ever been. I don't know why I feel that way. Maybe you do too. But let's not, let's not reject what God's promises in his words. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. That's us. All, all, the, all the longings and discontentments of our hearts are made perfect and are fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. That's God's invitation for us this morning. And um, I don't know. I, if, I don't know. I feel like we need that. I feel like we all need that rest. And I'm, tr- I'm praying that we can just trust God, that we can, uh, we can actually not just hear this like head knowledge, but actually hear this, that, that God is inviting us into his true and perfect rest. And, and I don't know all the things. I know some of the things you're going through. I don't know all of them. You know the things that you just want rid of in your life or the things that you need rest from. And God says, come to me and I will give you rest. True rest, perfect rest. All we have to do is trust him. Let's hold on to that. Let's pursue it like it's the most important thing. God promises that it will be ours in him. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, these are uh, strange and hard and tiring times. And um, Lord, I think the whole world is just dying for your rest. We don't even, most, most of the time we don't even know where to find rest because we don't look in the right places. So we're tired and we're fed up. We want to go home. We want to feel at home. Father, But we don't want to reject what your word says. We trust your promises, Lord. Help us to trust your promises that that rest is available found in Jesus. We can experience that rest, even in part now we can experience the rest in you. Lord, I pray for all our restless hearts that we would find our rest in you, just like Augustine tells us that we were created to praise you. We find joy and satisfaction in praising you because that's what we were created to do. You created us for your rest. You didn't create rest for us. Create us for rest. So Lord, may we just learn how to do that. May we just stop striving to find uh, the perfect relationships or the perfect job or the, uh, the perfect health or whatever it may be, Lord, that we would just, in whatever's going on around us, that we would just rest in you. Teach us how to do that, Lord. Teach us how to find 
peace and contentment and fulfillment in you, Lord Jesus. So bad at it. We just want to work and work and work. We're so bad at it, Lord. We need your help. I need your help. We all need your help. Thank you, Lord, for that provision you made through Jesus that allows us to enter into your rest. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.